What you are about to hear is a lesson taught in the Baird and Born Essentials class. For more information, or to download all the resources made available in this class, click the link in the episode description or visit barrettandborn.com. And now, this week's Essentials class. Uh, today is the day that I would like to talk to you about what, what I am calling the five relationships. And I'm going to try to, some of it's going to be on the board, some of it I'm going to try to write here, but I know that it's, I probably can't see it very well. And all of it is on the innermost fold of this document that I gave you here. And so this document is more or less just a little bit of a, a, a guidebook for you to see it. Uh, but hopefully I could teach through it and it'll make sense to you. It's always a hard time to do the five relationships. I never know which week to do it because I need to do it on the week where everybody hears it because I'm going to reference it from now on. And so um, we'll talk about it this week and I'm hoping to get through it this week if I don't go off on the rabbit trails, which I am prone to do, but I'm hoping to get through it this week and then in the next couple weeks talk about some practical applications for it and then we're going to get into, we said those three things that we're going to be learning. Uh, we're going to be learning uh, how we worship and what we believe and how we live. And so we're going to begin with uh, what we believe here in the next few weeks as we go into this creed and the history of it. Um, I'm going to get right to these relationships. This is where we ended last week. We said that those who are disciples of Jesus are, uh, as described in the Great Commission, a family of students who practice. Jesus said, um, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But he said these three things. He said, make disciples. And then he describes what it means to make disciples by saying, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said, teach them to observe. And so we said a disciple would be someone that was doing that or would be uh, submerged in that. And that was, we said, baptism was a family. We are united to Christ and one another. We said they are students, and then we said they are practicers. So they're united to Christ, they're active learners, and they are living intentionally. Uh, it's, it's, it's easy to be very passive in Christianity. It's very easy to um, uh, point to a time in the past where we believed in something, right? Or we prayed something, or we point ahead to the future where we're going to go to heaven. But there's this life, this, this middle portion where Jesus describes to us what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple, and it is someone who is uh, submerged in family uh, and then a student who practiced. I had a friend talk to me this past week, and he had somebody that was going to his church, uh, and he was from... I don't remember what country he was from. He was, he was he had immigrated to the United States. He was going to his church. His family had come over as well, and they started getting to the point where, all right, you believe it's time to be baptized. And he had been kind of lingering at the church for a good long time, uh, and they got to the it's time to get baptized portion of of his discipleship, and he took that away, and of course he had kind of mentioned it to his family, and he came back and came back to my friend, and it was a complete shutdown. It was that moment where the baptism was so significant to the family that they all recognized what it meant, and that was severing the ties of allegiance. Not necessarily severing ties. We don't get baptized like a cult, and then we don't ever talk to you anymore, but it's just it's what it means. It means, like, my, my family name, my national name, my religious name, they're not they're not held anymore in, in high value because now it's only I'm baptized into the family of Jesus and, and everything I do now is 
for him. That was they, they, even they had this understanding of baptism. And so we have to have that same understanding where we are baptized into this family and then we have to become active learners. Uh, we are purposely going out of our way to learn the teachings of Jesus and then also practicing those things. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, uh, Pastor Andrew's sermon from the book of Mark on the feeding of the 5,000 and, and the bread, uh, he was saying some of those same things that it, 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 I was listening to the Apostle Paul this past week and he was saying if we uh, can do X, Y, and Z but we don't have love, and he says it's absolutely pointless. It's absolutely pointless because, and remember this, Christianity is not something that is meant to be a private and personalized uh, experience, although you and God are alone in here, right? Scripture says in Revelation that God gives to us a new name which no man knows except for us and God. And so there's a, there is a private aspect to it. But when we say that Jesus was raised from the dead, as, as we said, it's because of what he says in Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. So Jesus has this work that he's doing where he is making the whole world new. He's making all of creation new. And so when he's calling us into works with him, it's not works because this is what good boys and good girls do. It's works because we, along with him, are participating in his renewal process where he's renewing the whole earth. And so in doing that, we have that. Um, I w- Question. Yes, let's do it. Oh, what yes. Do mean, what do you mean by that? Which part? That he's renewing Re- the whole earth and we're participating in his renewal of the whole earth. I've never heard that before. Okay. I like it. Let's go off. <laughs> let's do it. In the beginning... <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he looks down at the heavens and the earth and he says, all these things are good. He creates humanity and he creates humanity, as we said, in the image and likeness of God. And he says to humanity, here's what you're going to do. You are going to be in charge of all of creation. You're going to be in charge of my creation. And you are going to display something that not even the angels in heaven can display. You're going to display the wisdom of God by being the creative uh, beings that you are. I will give you the ability to multiply your own selves. I will give you the ability to harness, to cultivate, to control the earth, and to bring out of it what it is that I have put into it. In the same way that God took the, he created the earth out of nothing, and then the scripture says that it was without form and void, and then he formed it, and he made it good. And so God gives us this earth, and we have a rock and a stick, and then thousands of years later, we can go to the moon. That's because God has put into us the ability to cultivate this earth and to do what it is that we do. A beaver is never going to figure out how to get to the moon. He's never going to create a supercomputer because God did not give to the the horses and the trees and the lambs the ability to do those things. And so we were supposed to, alongside with God, be creating a perfect and beautiful and good world where we were multiplying ourselves, but we were multiplying good in the world. And then what happened was Adam and Eve ate the fruit. So they eat the fruit, and God says, this is sin. So I have celiac disease, right? So I can't eat wheat. I can't have bread or pasta, which is is difficult, right, Rachel? As an Italian, it's difficult to not eat pasta. So if I were to sit down with you in a meal, and and you were to have pasta and toast and pancakes, which would be a really weird meal, but (laughs) pasta and toast and pancakes and some roasted vegetables, I would be eating the roasted vegetables. And then you would say to me, look at all this that you could be having alongside the roasted vegetables. And on, in your perspective, you'd be saying, oh, you're missing out on a lot of things. 
from my perspective, every time I eat one of those things, it actually does damage to me inside and my body then loses more nutrients by doing that. When Adam and Eve sinned and all of our sin, it's actually a, uh, I believe it's, is it Peter? I'm sorry, I might say this is the wrong apostle. Uh, or is it Hebrews? Where he says sin that wars against our soul. And the, the scriptures also tell us that, um, that Jesus is intending to purge his church so there's not any spot on it. We have the, we're not even supposed to have the, the stain of the world on our flesh. Well, what's happening when we sin is that sin is not an arbitrary no-no, right? Sin is not just because God said, oh, I don't like that thing. You know, I don't like certain flavors in my coffee, but it's completely arbitrary. One is not better than the other. It's just my preference. And we think that about God, that God just has preferences on right and wrong. He doesn't. What he's trying to say is, um, I think that you should put uh, almond milk and Splenda and sugar-free vanilla in your coffee. And we're like, no, I don't want to. I'm going to put arsenic in it. And God's like, ugh, it wasn't a preference. That's going to kill you. That's what sin is. It's not, a, it's not a, just a different preference from God. It's something that actually is killing us and destroying us. It's dividing us from each other. It's dividing us from God. It's dividing us from our purpose. And then you have a world where God, is, God said in the beginning, I want you to cultivate and bring this entire world up together into this, this beautiful thing where you are bringing creation together with me and we are all living perfectly together. That, that's what it, society should look like. But instead... You know, we're having war and doing drugs and cheating on our spouses and, and killing each other. And so Jesus is, by entering into our death and raising from the dead, he's the firstborn of the new creation. That's why we call him the second Adam from above. So he's the beginning of a restart. He's not from Aaron's line of priests. He's not from Adam's line of humans. He's a new creature. He's a new creation, the scripture says. Although, side note, Jesus is without beginning. But he's the firstborn of a new creation. And so Jesus is going back, rewriting all of humanity's story from Adam all the way up to him, rebaptizing humanity. God comes down at Jesus' baptism and says, it's good again. This is my beloved son, hear him. And so Jesus, God looks at humanity and says, humanity's good again, we're together. And so then Jesus goes and he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, rather than being merciful and peacemakers, you have hated your brother and hated your enemy and broken your contracts and thrown each other away. So he says, what we're going to do is we're going to begin the process of renewal. If any man will pick up his cross and follow me, Jesus tells us, then you can die alongside with me, death in your baptism, death to Adam's image, and begin the process of being restored to your original self, what we're calling fully alive. And it's actually what we're going to talk about today. Through the practices of participating with Christ in each one of these areas, he's going to restore into us the original creation, what we were supposed to be when we first started. And so what we should be seeing in Christianity is a long but slow process where each of us individually are participating. When I say participating, I'll say things like uh, when we baptize or we take communion or we pray or we read the Psalms, we are participating in God's life. And that is a means by which grace comes into us and transforms us. It, it begins to wash away the old mind and it begins to bring us a renewed mind where Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that by the time that Christ is done with his work, we will be in the end where every tongue and nation and tribe will be together and there will be no more war. See, when Jesus comes back and fixes everything, Right? I say it fixes everything. 
he doesn't just show up on the scene and go, that's enough. He will have been, by his grace, turning us into people who collectively have said, this is enough. And Jesus will be coming back. And the scripture says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? So Jesus isn't coming back and saying, hey, I'm going to fix you guys. He's going to come back and say, look at all the people that I fixed. And then he's going to purge the earth of evil. Okay. And so the process of Christianity is just this. It's moving to where this is the old mind and we're being restored into the new mind. Okay. Sanctification. Sanctification. Yes. We are justified freely by his grace. And then that same grace sanctifies us, sanctified meaning to make holy. And so God then makes us holy in life. I mean, think about this. Think about something that pre-Christ in your life would have just been commonplace for you to do. And now you think about it and you go, I couldn't even imagine myself doing that thing. Right? Now we all fail, right? Every single day. Right? I yelled at my kids today. I yell at my kids every day. <laughs> Rachel, yeah, you do too. <laughs> I confess that I have sinned. <laughs> right, so we fail every single day. But you think of those things that are just, you get to, you, you're, you, you'll find yourself find, seeing the fruit of the Spirit as we participate. And I'm going to keep using the word participate over and over again. Participating in things. Because when you read your Bible, it's not you reading your Bible. It's you participating in the Word of God. God is doing something. Remember, the word of God is quick and powerful. God sends out his word. It is not my word like a hammer, the scripture says. God's word is active and he sends it out. So when you read Psalm 95, in our, the way we think in society, I picked a passage, I put it on the screen, I told you to read it and you read it. And that's not really what it was. What happened was God sent out his word this morning and you participated in it. And slowly, ever so small, somewhere in your heart, that word did some little transformation. If you continue to participate in that word, Peter says this, if you continue, then God will continue to sanctify you until that word becomes part of who you are, right? Every one of us wants to do our own will. We're going to talk about that in one second here. Every one of us wants to do our own will. But when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Over time, God will transform our hearts so that we actually do desire his will as opposed to our will, but it means us participating in that. Yeah, it's sanctification. I know what we're... Does yes. like you're just changing the word and this is like a new word? But well, it's always been there, it's sanctification. Does that make sense? Sanctification, yes. It's so always... I'm trying to like wrap my... I don't disagree yeah, with yeah. what you've been saying, but I'm trying to wrap my brain around it and sometimes yes. I'm like... No, that's know? fine. It's good. I like the hiccups. That's good. Well, listen, so, I... I'm used to hearing like the sanctification. Yes. You're right. And you're not, I, you're I right. I participating, but I guess I've learned it a different... Okay, so, so give me an idea. So if you were to say sanctification, what would it mean to you then? Kind of exactly, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Just kind of stamping it like a one, two, three, four, five, where I just heard the sanctification. And I like the way you're presenting it. I'm just, okay. my brain is kind of... All right, of so like, we're not disagreeing. No, right. We're getting the semantics right. Yeah, just okay. kind of a new way yeah. to... The reason, okay, so so here's, why I, here's why I do say it sometimes the way I say it. And I said this to you at the beginning. It's be, because what we find is that in the uh, Protestant evangelical Baptist world, oftentimes we will look to the mainline Protestant or to Eastern Orthodox or to Catholic, and we will say, boy, you guys are just repeating a bunch of rote phrases over and over again. Boy, you're just saying the Lord's Prayer over and over again. It doesn't mean anything. And then they're looking back to us and saying, how many more times are you guys going to sing Oceans? Right? It's empty. It's, you know what I'm saying? Oh, spirit, lead me where my... Right? That's the one I was... That was my point. So they have the same argument back to us. 
And we're like, no, man, we're just trying to be sanctified. And then they're like, well, we're trying to be sanctified. Now we have reasons where we disagree, right, with different, with different denominations of Christianity. Some are more than others. But it, it's, it's the same word, but what I'm trying to use is different language that might kind of awaken us if we happen to be out of a slumber. Now I'm not claiming ever, I don't assume you are all like brand new Christians. You're like, I've never seen a Bible before, right? I'm not trying to treat you like that. I'm just trying to explain it in such a way that, so I'm going to use that phrase, participation with Christ, because, and, and to what Mr. Forrest said earlier on, uh, when Peter was speaking, Peter said um, that we are now partakers in the divine nature. Right? And so we have often too much of a division between us and God that God's over there and I'm performing here. And if I do the right performance, then he'll be happy and blessed. If I do the wrong performance, then he's frustrated. And what he's trying to do is be with us and working through us and growing us by his grace so that he could turn us into what he wants. There's a quote from John Wesley that I was going to read to you here that goes along uh, with this. Um, we are where sometimes we think that the movement of God happens with some miracle. And I used to, I used to be this way, right? It would be, we're in the service and if, if the service goes really well and the spirit just works and it's, you know, let's pray. And you know, you know, is God going to move? And so we're hoping to pull down God. And at the end of the service, maybe, maybe that one person that we really care about and love is going to walk forward and, and go to the altar. There's going to be some grand revival. Well, all of Manuka suddenly one day gets saved. And we look for those. And I'm not saying that like, things like the Welsh revival or, or the Azusa Street, I'm not saying that those revivals don't exist, but they're not, the, they're, they're not what we would refer to as the ordinary means of grace by which God does his miracles. And this is what John Wesley said. You, you know John Wesley of the famous... Uh, Wesley Stills and Nash. <sighs> it didn't work. It was, I, me, I was good. See, what I was going to say is the Wesley brothers, and then I was throwing you off. I was going to try to mix you up. Like, the two Wesleys, Charles and John. Okay. The chief of these means are prayer, whether in secret or with the great congregation, searching the scriptures, which implies reading, hearing, and meditation thereon, and receiving the Lord's Supper, eating bread and drinking wine in remembrance of him. And these we believe to be ordained of God as the ordinary channels of conveying his grace to the souls of men. The best case scenario for us as Christians is to participate in prayer, the scripture reading, and what goes on in the service. Now, if you say, well, I already do all those things. That doesn't mean that there's not room for development here or, or growth in this, right? That's okay. So, uh, but, but again, that's where we're going. And so when I say he's making all things new, what we're going to find is that Jesus is by his spirit, because that's when he left the disciples, because let's be honest, Jesus leaving. Sometimes we say, boy, I wish Jesus would just come back and prove us right. And Jesus said to his disciples, it's better that I leave. Like, it's better that I go because I can send my spirit because his spirit's going to be everywhere all at once working in everybody and bringing unity to his entire body throughout the, the earth. And then Jesus, if we would just push back a little bit, we would notice that this body that is all over the earth, that apostolic church that we said in, in the, the, the creed, that body actually is Jesus' body. So Jesus is present on earth by way of his spirit through everybody. My point, though, is when we say renewing the earth, it's that Jesus is doing the gospel and the gospel is working, right? The gospel worked. The disciples got the gospel out. The reason that we're disciples right now is because, you know, Peter and James and John did their job. They did a good job. The gospel got out. It was successful. Sometimes we like to speak from the underdog. Like we have to go out into all the world. And we have to preach the gospel. And it's like, brother, you're the world. You're the one that they went out and preached to. I saw a video the other day of some uh, two guys that were, well, they were Mormons, but they were going to go be missionaries in Ethiopia, right? And they had this video and they're like, we're going to Ethiopia and you'll pray for us and support us. 
And the guy from Ethiopia saw the video and reposted a response video. And he's like, I'm so glad you're coming here. We would love to have you come to church with us because we've known about Jesus for 2,000 years. Because <laughs> the Ethiopian church, their patron saint is Philip, right? Because he was the one who told the Ethiopian eunuch about, how to, about Christ. And so they're over there going, we know, <laughs> right? We get it. So the gospel worked. It's worked for 2,000 years. It's going to continue to work, and Jesus will eventually. And so we can't have this nihilist, this, this like, oh, the, it's, everything's getting bad. Everything's getting bad. We have to understand the gospel is working, and it's going to continue to work. Christ is inviting us not to make the gospel work for him. He's inviting us to participate in a work that he has already claimed is winning. Like, the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gospel wins. Our invitation is not like, guys, look, we've got to do this work or it's going to fail. Our invitation is, guys, there's this really awesome train. It's bound for glory. Let's all get on it so that we can go with it, right? That's the gospel, right? Have a confidence in it. All right, you got me off. Now I got to get back on and figure where we're at. (laughs) Worship. I got four minutes left. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So here's how we're going to break it down and let's go. We'll just get through whatever we can. This is what we say. Worship, and I'll explain this. Don't worry about capturing it all. Worship is the movement of the heart to peace. Education is the movement of the mind to enlightenment. Community is the movement of our relationships to goodwill. And spiritual formation is the movement of the spirit to maturity. Kingdom work is the movement of the body to dignity. Now, Jesus is making all things new. He's restoring all things. He's bringing us back to what we were meant to be when we were created. When we were created, man was at peace with God and with man. We weren't at war with each other. So the highest level that your heart and your will can be at is at peace with God. This is the Christmas story. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? The the highest state of our minds is enlightenment. And I don't mean like Buddhist enlightenment. I mean, have the eyes of your mind enlightened, as the apostle tells us. Um, When Satan came to Jesus and started arguing with him about the scriptures, Jesus knew the scriptures well enough that he was able to fend off the temptation of Satan. And so Jesus had a mind, and then Paul comes along and says, you should let the mind that is in Christ also be in you, because this is the mind that led Christ to do what he did. And so the way Christ thinks is the right way to think. I guess the easiest way to say it. The way Christ thinks is the right way to think. He understands the Father. And he says, nothing that I say comes from me, but it comes from the Father. So Jesus is completely, his will in line with the Father, so he is the enlightened mind. We'll talk about this in very much detail, so we're just skimming it right now. Community, uh, Jesus was at goodwill with all mankind. Goodwill is the do- desire for good to be done. It's, it's, the, it's the essence of love. It's the desire that when I look at you as a person, my hope is that the good thing happens to you. Right. And and when that gets warped, it becomes I hope that the best thing possible happens to you as long as it's not as good as the best thing that happens to me. And so Jesus has goodwill. He's got he's he doesn't have anything wrong. He doesn't have anything against anybody. He has no beef with anyone. And as a matter of fact, it says that as he grows as a child studying the scriptures, he grows in peace with God and with man. Everything that Jesus did, he did of no selfishness. He had no guile and no malice. And everything that he did was for the good of the people that was around him. And so that would be our highest uh, value there. Then the next one is maturity, and it's the maturity of the spirit. For Jesus to go to the cross, for Jesus to understand his greater purpose, for Jesus to understand the will of God. 
Jesus has to have a maturity about him. And I don't just mean like human maturity. I mean his spirit formed up into something that makes sense. Pastor Andrew has mentioned this a few times in Mark. Often when you see Jesus do a miracle, the miracle passage is the really cool part that we, that we remember, but we don't remember the little middle passages where it says, and he went away to pray, and he went away to pray, and he went away to pray. And Jesus spends a lot of time maturing his spirit. Remember, because he is divine, he's God, he is also man. He's not one or the other. He's not and, he's, he's not both, he's and. Okay, so Jesus has, is a human who is also God, and that human needs to do what humans need to do, and Jesus has this maturity of spirit that we need to get, and we'll get that through spiritual formation. And then lastly is dignity. Dignity is the way we treat our own bodies and the way we treat each other's bodies, okay? Uh, dignity, when, when, when Adam and Eve were, um, uh, were created, they were created with a dignity, with an honor. The scripture says humanity is crowned with honor and glory. We have a dignity that the other creatures don't have. Um, it is a loss of humanity to see a person, as Pastor Andrew said, without food, without bread. That is a loss of dignity. And Jesus is going to come and restore dignity to all people. Now, that doesn't just mean food. That just means in every area. That means, uh, it, again, go to the Christmas carols. Uh, he's going to make the slave free because to have slavery is to take humanity and lose its dignity. Right. The, this is the Christian sexual ethic. It is because the things that people were doing in these pagan Gentile worlds were to lose the dignity of what it meant to be a human being by the way they were, as Paul says, what they were doing in their bodies. And so this is the restoration of dignity. So we have five parts and we have five actions that are going to move those parts to five new creations. Okay. So we have a will. We're calling that our heart. We have a mind. We call that the mind. Uh, we have our relationships with each other because that's part of the human existence, right? These connections that we have with each other. We, we're not made to ourselves. We're made in relationship with one another. We also have a spirit. It's the part of us that knows God. And then we have a body. It's, it's this part here. Now, we are not Gnostics and we are not the... Uh, we, don't, we don't go along with philosophies where the whole point is this body is bad and we're trying to get away from it. That's not the Christian philosophy. The Christian philo there, are, there are a lot of Eastern mysticism religions or different philosophies that are like, man, this body is the bad thing. We've got to get rid of the body. And if we could just be spirit, we'd be fine. Christianity doesn't believe that. And the proof of that is that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. His real body rose from the dead. And so Jesus is, is restoring and saving all things. Spirit, mind, will, body. He's saving everything. And so... What we have here is we have this, the, 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 the will, the mind, our relationships, our spirit, and our body. And all of those things are marked by sin in such a way that it has broken peace, broken enlightenment, broken goodwill, broken our maturity, and it's broken our dignity. And then we have the world the way it looks today. And so what, what we have, or what the church has specifically, are these relationships, worship, education, community, spiritual formation, and kingdom work, that are like uh, relationships that are meant to act on that part of our existence that through that God can renew us all the way up. So you could see if we were to participate in worship, but we weren't to focus on education, we we're going to, you know, work our biceps, but not our legs, right? We're going to miss out on a portion of it. And, and all of these work together in some way, shape or form in so much that the, the one informs and helps the other. Oftentimes, uh, Christians like to do community because it's fun. Uh, 
and we do it around food or we do it around activities. But what often happens is uh, Christians will lack on education, for example, or they'll lack on kingdom work. And when they get together into community, they don't fulfill the purpose of community, which is goodwill, and it reduces down to uh, clubs and cliques and dinner parties, which, as the apostles tell us, the world already does that. What are we doing? Right? We're not the Elks Lodge. We're not the Moose Lodge. Right? Um, we are the Christian church. So each one of these is going to inform the other. And different churches and different denominations get these in different balances. I, I would say in the evangelical, we're very heavy on education. Every time everybody, anybody comes together for anything, we have a class, right? It's very rarely, let's get together and pray. Let's just be honest, right? It's very rarely let, where it's like, let's get together and pray. We're very heavy on, let's get together and have a class. So these are the five relationships, and we have the five parts of who we are, and uh, we're gonna go through these in some pretty heavy detail to get a better understanding of who we are. Um, so that we can understand what Christ wants to do us. But before I move on, I'll try to do one today. But before we move on, uh, any thoughts or questions or the rest? Yeah, the restoration of all things. And then also the, the scripture says that at some point Jesus will put down the final enemy under his feet, which is death. And he says, and then he will turn all things back over to God. So I told you this before. We have to have a tension in Christianity where we don't fall onto one side or the other. So I'm not asking you to fall into universalism where everybody always everywhere gets saved. But I am saying we should also not fall into the tension of, man, there's like four people getting saved and the whole world is going to, hmm, Jesus is going to save this place. That's what his intent to do. Something's going to burn. Paul, uh, Peter says this, the elements will burn as with, as with fire. He's going to melt away all that is not good. Uh, but he is restoring. Remember, there's a new heaven and a new earth. It's not like flying away. It's he's restoring this place. Go ahead. Because, oh, this is fun. Let's just do it. We got five minutes. I got six months. As long as I can get this done in six months, we'll be good. There is this idea. This is the earth, and this is heaven, and this is hell. And there are three places. And we get this from, you know, you could take John talking about the lake of fire. Or you can talk, you can see the, uh, the uh, parable um, of Lazarus and the rich man. All right. But sometimes I think we draw a picture that the passage itself is not trying to draw. And we drew the picture ourselves. Right. And then so we have earth. And so when, 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 we, when we leave, when we're done here, then there's just this split decision of it's here or it's here. You're going here or you're going here. Now, the scripture tells us that those who have been uh, asleep in Christ or buried with Christ, as we had mentioned, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized for the remission of your sins. The apostle tells us those people who, who sleep in Christ to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right. So present with the Lord is, is the key. Present with the Lord is the key here. And that's what heaven means. So heaven is not simply another place, but it is to be in the presence of the Lord. And what we're praying in the Lord's prayer is, thy, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The desire for the Lord's prayer is a restoration where there is no separation between Amen. heaven and earth, right? Now, every time in the, new, every time in the Bible, and I'll see if I remember all of them, but every time in the Bible where it talks about um, 
God making contact to man. It is never God drawing man up to him. It's always God coming down to him. So we have Adam in the garden, uh, and then we have the uh, tabernacle in the wilderness, and then we have the temple uh, in the wilderness, and then we have the second temple where there's no glory. God doesn't show up there, so it's completely, they cry over it. And then we have Jesus that shows up because he's the new temple. And then we have the uh, apostles and the disciples who are saved at Pentecost. They are now the new temple. And then this is also us. We're, we're the current temple. So God, every time his presence comes to earth, it is because he's going to show up here and take back his place. And so in the new heaven and the new earth, it's just exactly that. It's, a, it's the final answer to the Lord's prayer. It's thy, thy will is now being done on earth as it is in, in heaven. And heaven, the new Zion, the mountain that comes, which prophet said that there was like, I saw a, a rock come out of the sky and it crushed and it grew into a great mountain. Um, and so that, that, that mountain that comes down to crush the kingdoms of the earth is going to come. And eventually it's here. Right? It's, it's heaven finally merging back into earth, and it's God's creation once again looking at it completely and totally and saying it's good. Now, God's, God's, uh, God's glory is like a fire. When God comes back and renews it, God's glory is like a fire. It's a flame of fire, the scripture says. He is an all-consuming fire. Um, and so if you have built your life with gold and with gems, which is Christ, right? It's not your works. It's the merits of Christ. And you approach the glory of God, the all-consuming fire of God. It's going to burn away all the dust that we carried with us on earth. But what remains? It's the gold and the wood and the hay and the stubble. If you have built completely with wood, hay, and stubble, meaning uh, glory, fame, honor, power, wealth, right? If you've done that and the glory of God comes to us, it consumes everything. There's nothing left. Lazarus, when he dies, has a name. Lazarus, right? So he enters into God's kingdom and it's God's glory and God's fire is peaceful and comforting and good. Why doesn't the rich man have a name? The rich man doesn't have a name in that story because the only thing that he built his life on is riches. And when God's all-consuming fire comes and burns up wood, hay, and stubble, his very essence is being destroyed. And so God's same glory and goodness that approaches someone that has built with gold is comforting and wonderful. Wow, look at the gold beginning to shine, Peter says. The trying of our faith proves to us that it's real. Someone who has built their life and says, I am wealth, power, money, glory. And it burns, it's torment. And so God's same fire as he comes, God's wrath is also God's goodness. God's wrath as he purges the earth of evil for you and I is going to go, oh, thank goodness. It's like when a warm spring rain melts all the nasty ice that's been there since January and you hate it and you've been walking on it for three months. That, that rain hits that ice and you and I are like, oh, finally the salt is off my car. To the evil, that rain is going to be a torment to them. And looking up, it says, the rich man raising up his eyes in these flames said, I'm in torment. Yes, because your life was riches. It's the only thing that defined you. I can't even give you a name. You're not even Joe. You're just rich man. Your very essence, when it approaches the glory of God, enters into this torment. And so that's what we say. It's a full circle, and I'll let you go here. That's what we say when we start from the beginning and say God is renewing us. And so what we say when God is purging the earth of sin. Eventually, he's bringing heaven and earth back together. And so let us be buried now so that we can be reborn as gold 
rather than to cling to the world that is, as the Apostle John tells us, already beginning to pass away so that we might enter in and hear, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for listening to this week's Essentials class. Next week, we'll be taking each of the five relationships and doing a deep dive into what they are, what part of our existence they affect, what it means when that component of who we are is tainted by sin, and what it looks like when each one of them is fully alive. For more information, you can follow us on Instagram at Buried and Born, or you can subscribe to our Substack, which is available in the link in the episode description below.